Hello, I'm Daniel. This is my podcast, Sharpening the Mind. I am a meditation teacher and also a labor activist in Kansas City, Missouri. I teach classes in meditation and Buddhism at the Rime Buddhist Center, as well as a few other places. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Hi, today I'm going to talk about taming our minds or mind training, okay? And I'm going to start off, I'm going to read you a couple quotes and then I will I will go into the the talk. So uh, there's a Tibetan Buddhist teacher named Sultram Lodro who said, by viewing every condition that causes suffering in our lives through wisdom and compassion, we can transform that suffering into positive experiences, a powerful force for personal growth and deeper recognition of the reality of existence. And Sultram Lodro goes on to say, if you thoroughly train your mind, no matter your circumstances or environment, how busy you are, or the pressure you are under, you can live a happy and meaningful life. So that's what we're talking about here. Mind training uh, is a collection of Buddhist teachings <clears throat> from the Tibetan tradition, but it is about taming our minds, about fi figuring out how to work with our minds and turn our minds into a friend. Because a lot of the time, it seems like our mind is not a friend, right? When we get caught up worrying about things we don't need to worry about, or when we just become obsessed with something and we can't let go, that's our mind not being a friend, right? And well, we want our minds to be a friend and I want to be able to direct my mind to do what I want it to do, whether that's solving a difficult problem, uh, figuring out how to do something or managing my feelings, right? So that I'm not, uh, not only suffering in my life, but getting caught up in my suffering and spilling my suffering onto others. We do that, you know, we do that. And also I think, uh, when our minds are untamed, when we just let the mind go where it goes and do what it wants. Well, we overindulge in things, right? And we get caught up in trivialities and eaten up by nothing. And it's easy for people to manipulate us too. It's easy for people to manipulate us if our minds are not trained. If our minds are not trained. It's said that we can find... We can find an inner peace and contentment within ourselves. And we tend to think that happiness only comes from the outside world, right? And that's not the case. The truth is that if our minds are disturbed, we can't really find a lasting peace and happiness. It's really hard to do. And that's something we can sort of keep in mind. So... By Taming the Mind, um, I'm going to sort of help define that, I think. Uh, in his book, The Power of Mind, uh, Kentro Lodro Teye, 
he said, and he's a Tibetan Buddhist teacher. He said, taming the mind is the process of cultivating positive thoughts and emotions while learning how to reduce negative thoughts and emotions. That's taming the mind. I think of like, try to turn your bad feelings into good feelings. I think of a uh, sort of like a really uh, down to earth and ordinary oversimplified way to think of it is um, focus on the positive aspect of what's happening, you know, focus on the positive. So, you know, I may have lost a job, but the positive is, well, I can get a better job maybe, or the positive is I hated my job, right? And that's sort of one way to think about this. So I'm going to talk about next uh, teaching called the threefold development. Uh, that's a really clunky terminology, I think, but it points to keys to peace and happiness. And I'm going to describe what those three things are. And then after that, I'm going to go into more I'm going to name them and then describe them in some more detail, okay? <clears throat> so the threefold, what we're talking about, this Tibetan Buddhist concept of threefold development is one, developing our external world, two, developing our actions, and three, developing our mind. External world, actions, mind. So what are we talking about? external world. Well, what is developing our external external world? It's really things, really. When it gets down to it, it is things. There is a limit to the happiness that the external world can bring us. We tend to think sometimes that, you know, if I just get this, 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 and this, then I'm going to be happy. That's it, then I'll be there. And the, the actuality is there's an upper limit um, that is having things can make you like at this level of happiness, but once you're at this level, no amount of wealth or possessions is going to is going to raise that higher. This is where wealth and possessions can take you. So it's well known, I think, that basic needs have to be met in order for us to be happy. So you've got to have, you know, access to food, reliable housing, that sort of thing. So when people say money can't buy happiness, well, I mean, to an extent that's true, but at the same time, your basic needs have to be met. So that can be really a challenge without money. Okay. So happiness we get from the, the external world uh, centered in sort of our basic physical comfort and elimination of discomfort, especially discomfort from not having enough. And we all struggle with having enough, or at least many, many of us do. And that's a, that's a feature of the modern world. And if we work too hard, though, to try to get happiness from the outer world, it can sometimes uh, do the opposite. It can sometimes make us unhappy. So 
the really easy example of that is, of course, eating too much ice cream. I really enjoy ice cream and I can eat it, need it, need it. Um, and if I overdo it, that's not good for me. It's not good for me, not only um, as far as my sugar intake or whatever and my, my uh, nutrition, but also it's not good for me to eat too much ice cream because at a certain point, I'm going to feel full enough that I'm uncomfortable, right? Or my stomach could even hurt. So in that way, sometimes we are trying to do the things to make us happy and we end up making ourselves unhappy instead, unhappy instead. And um, like, I think we can think of stories of people who like, they work all the time, like 70, 80 hours a week because they just want more money and they have no time for their life, right? And it's, uh, I don't know anyone like that. I don't know if those people are unhappy or not, but I think um, when we think about happiness coming from the external world, coming from things I can get or experiences I can afford, um, I think it helps us maybe to remind ourselves There are some very wealth, the richest men in the world, very, very wealthy people are still getting divorces. You know, that's like in the last few years, the richest men in the world, some, some of the richest men in the world are still getting divorces. And like that tells me that in spite of their incredible wealth, they have this some, some of the exact same struggles that regular people have, right? Some of the exact same struggles regular people have. Like when you have everything, you can't make a marriage work. Um, and that's not to say I would be judgmental of them, but that's just to say these people have everything they could possibly want and they are... They are... Um, Doing things that you don't expect a happy person to do. Doing things you don't expect a happy person to do. And not only that, but, you know, bold things like trying to go to space, too. Like, that tells me that having everything um, has not led to happiness and has actually just made the bar higher for what what uh, is a valuable experience, I guess. If you're going to try to go to space, I'm scared. I would not go to space. Anyway. Um, there's an old Tibetan saying, and I like it, and it is, it's really simple and easy to understand. If you have a horse, you have a horse worth of problems. If you have two horses, you have two horses worth of problems. And I think we can think about that too. The things we have bring their own problems with them. The things we have bring their own problems with them. So, you know, if you've got two horses, then you have to, for two horses, you have to think about the horse's health and making sure you've got food and water for the horse and making sure that you're protecting your horse so it's not stolen, right? And those, you know, those, it's not suffering to deal with those things, but it's just everything brings complication. And that's why I think a lot of people advocate having a really simple life and having not a lot of things because our things can own us. 
our things our things can own us. We want to think that we own our possessions, but we can feel like they own us too very easily. So, developing our actions is the second one. And that is activities. It's how we speak and behave. So, so like developing our, that first one, developing our external world, that's about nouns and this one's about verbs. That's how I think of it. And I don't know if that's useful for anyone, but I think of like developing our actions. That's about what we do. So we do things to try to get happiness too, right? And this applies to actions and it also applies to speech. And I think that's very important because we don't always think of speaking as an action, right? But the truth is a lot of harm can come from our words and a lot of good can come from our words too. So speaking is an action. You could really hurt someone with speech. Hurt them, hurt them, scar them. And, you know, I hear about, this is not my lived experience, but I hear about people who like, when they were a kid, their parents always said unkind things to them. And that has just affected them their whole life. And I hear about that and I'm so sad. Uh, but that, that wasn't my experience, but I can empathize. I'm so sad to hear about that. And I think that that just really, if we can reflect on that, that really demonstrates to us how powerful, how powerful words can be. It can affect you your whole life, even though you were a child a child when it happened. It can affect you your whole life. And so we need to think about our words and think about the things we say. And also, of course, the things we do. What are we doing in life? Am I just out there hustling all the time, trying to trying to make more money, trying to get more attention, trying to get uh, extra romantic partners? You know, those are the kinds of actions that we could be doing to try to get happiness, but will they make us happy? I don't think so. Not really. Because when we're chasing these things, we can easily become obsessed with these things. And if we're obsessed with these things, that steals our happiness in a way that few other things in this world do. And that, what is that? That's our mind. That's our mind taking our own happiness away. And that's not how I want to live, right? So that's training our minds. An aspect of this is, well, I don't want my, I don't want to steal my own happiness, right? Who would want that, right? So that's sort of a way to think about that. So what are we doing in the world? Are we just trying to gain things and take things all the time? Or are we trying to have harmony with the world around us and maybe work to make the world a better place. That would be, that would be the ideal thing. And I'll read to you, uh, Kentrell Lodrote, he says this in the book, um, in the power of the mind. He says this, I'm going to read you this quote. When we act in positive ways, we feel good and have a clear conscience. Even if we don't get exactly what we want, if we make every effort to refrain from harming others, in the end, we will have the peace of mind that comes from knowing that we did the best we could. When we act in negative ways, even if we succeed in getting what we want, our mind will be 
disturbed, and will have a sense of discomfort. Gaining something at the cost of another's well-being never results in happiness. That sounds extreme, right? He says never. It never results in happiness. Um, I can say that's been my experience. I can say that's been my experience. And you may want to reflect and see if that matches your experience as well. Um we could look around and make arguments and be like, no, that person's happy. That person's happy. And they, all they did was step on other people. But I think it's more productive and more useful to reflect on our own experience because we don't know someone else's experience. Not really. Like I can't know if Elon Musk is happy. I cannot know that. I can speculate on that. I can look at clues and try to figure it out. I don't know. I don't know, and I don't have a way to know. I won't know, right? And so reflecting on my own happiness and the way uh, maybe doing things that weren't the best things for me to do has not made me happy. I can reflect on that, and I I bet you can too. Um, this teacher, Kendrell, is saying this is the human experience, and I don't, I don't know that to be true, but I do know it to be my experience. So that makes it really meaningful to me. Third is developing our mind. And this is the primary source of our happiness. And that, that can be hard to believe. Um, I have heard it said that 95% of our happiness, once our basic needs are met, 95% of our happiness comes from just within our mind. 95%. And that could be an intimidating thing to think about. But that's empowering. Can I seize my joy? Can I make the choice of when and how I'm going to be happy? Can I choose to have well-being? Because if I can... I really want to, right? And do, if that comes from like not chasing after wealth and respect and attention all the time, well, then I'm not going to chase after those things all the time. Or I'm going to try not to anyway. So uh, training our minds leads to inner peace, happiness, contentment, okay? Mind training is enormously, enormously useful, and I think it's something that we can all study and, and learn about. And it's not, um, it's not particularly religious. So I believe someone who has zero interest in Buddhism could still study mind training and still put some of these things into practice and still get a lot out of it. I, I believe that. I believe it's actually universal. I believe these teachings are universal and so someone who is not interested in Buddhism at all because they uh, like their current religion and they want to keep it, well, that person could still get a lot out of mind training. And someone who's not interested in Buddhism at all because they don't like religion can still get a lot of mind training because this is not religion. This, this teaching is not really religion. It is, um, or at least it's not what we typically think of as religion. Rather, this is, Action statements. Action statements. 
if we do this, this will happen. If we do this, this will happen. So mind training, it's almost like a self-help program, really. But I, I mean, I think it's, I think self-help programs, do they have a good reputation these days? I don't know. But I think it's better than self-help help programs I've seen. Um, so in the, in the book, Kendrell says, A person with a developed mind but a very low income can live a joyful life, while a person with an undeveloped mind who's very rich can be miserable. When our mind is undisturbed and we operate from a place of love, compassion, and knowledge, our actions improve, which in turn improves the world. So that's, we're talking about learning to come from a place of love and compassion. And that is how we change the world. We can change ourselves and change the world. We have a bigger impact than we think we do have a bigger impact than we think we do. Okay. So, um, these teachings, these mind training teachings in particular that I'm talking about today, this is called Lojong, L-O-J-O-N-G. And, um, it's to train the the mind or to train the thinking mind. Uh, Jong is to train and Lo is the mind or the thinking mind or the intelligent mind. Okay. And so if you hear the term Lo Jong, that's what that is. We're trying to train our minds or tame our minds. Um, I connect with the word train, but I know a lot of people connect with the word tame because it just it just reminds us that our mind is out of control and this is a lot of work. Our mind is out of control and this is a lot of work. And that's okay. We can do a lot of work. Uh, so tame, like, so that tame has those kinds of connotations to me. Um, so in the book, uh, Kentrell, Kentrell defines taming the mind as... The process of refining away mental afflictions until we aren't ruled by our circumstances and the negative thoughts and emotions they elicit. We gain control over our mind and hence our experience. When we engage in mind trainings, we set ourselves on a path, a series of steps that lead to a result, and that result is happiness. With mind training, we transform whatever is happening into a source of happiness. All conditions become positive. Wow, right? So can we turn bad feelings into good feelings with these, with these teachings, with mind training? I want to believe we can. So there are several different uh, versions of the Lojong or mind training teachings. And what... Uh, Kentrol Lodrotai uh, uses is what is called the. Make sure I get that name right. Seven key points of mind training, and this is from a historical ancient teacher named Atisha. Uh, but there are other forms of mind training too, outside of these seven points. So I want, I want you to have that in mind. There are other forms. I think I've talked about other forms at times, 
But that is what I'm focusing on now. Um, I'm going to do a series of these teachings and go over these seven principles because I think it's meaningful and helpful. And it's helpful to me to explore them out loud with you. That's helpful to me to get it straight in my own mind. So in a way, I'm, I'm training myself. I'm helping myself get control of my mind, okay? So, uh, Lodro Tai, control Lodro Tai, he says, once we know just these seven principles, we will possess an entire set of methods to thoroughly tra- tame our mind, transform our experience, and change the world from the inside out. So again, change yourself and you can change the world. That's a really important message, I think. Um... I'm reminded of the Beatles song Within You and Within You Without You. George Harrison wrote it. So I'm going to say George Harrison says With our love we can save the world. With our love we can save the world. And that's what we're doing. We're changing the world from the inside out. And by making myself a better person, by living a more virtuous, mindful, compassionate way, I'm going to make the world a better place. I am. Sometimes in life, we think there's so much suffering and horror in the world that we can't do anything that we can't make the world a better place. And that's very discouraging and disempowering and unhelpful. But we can make a difference. There's this story that um, my old teacher, Lama Chuck Stanford, told. I'm sure he didn't write it, but I don't know where he got it from. Um, Lama Chuck, rest in peace. But um, the story he told was, and I'm going to get it as well as I can, Um, this guy, he goes to the beach and he sees thousands of starfish on the beach, like they've beached themselves. And he looks and he sees this little boy and the little boy is pick, he sees the little boy pick up a starfish and throw it in the ocean. And then the little boy goes and picks up another starfish and throws it in the ocean. And then he goes and he gets another starfish and he throws it in the ocean. And so the guy, he goes up to this, this child he doesn't know, And he says, hey, there's so many starfish here. How can you possibly think you'll make a difference? How can you hope to make a difference? And the little boy, uh, he picks up a starfish and he throws it in. And then he says to the man, it made a difference to that one. It made a difference to that one, right? So there's thousands of starfish on the beach. They're dying. And he's saving the ones he can instead of thinking, oh, well, I can't do anything. I think about that sometimes because I don't usually think like the little boy. I usually think like the the guy and I think this is too big for me to help. This is too big for me to help and it's never too big for you to help. We can't do everything, but we can do something. And that's how I want to live in the world. I want to think I can do things to make the world a better place. 
So I'm going to bullet point the seven uh, principles. And that's it, though. I'm just going to introduce them, and then I'm going to bring this to an end. Because, again, I'm going to do a whole series. I'm actually I'm excited about it. So uh, number one is the preliminaries, the support for the practice. And these are the things that inspire us to practice. Reflecting on them gives us the reasons for mind training. We have to remind ourselves, you know, where we are without mind training. And we only have so much limited time in this world. Why aren't we trying to make our minds work, work better? That, that sort of thing. Uh, number two is called the actual practice training in bodhicitta. Let's not get caught up in that word bodhicitta. It means the mind of compassion or the mind of awakening. Okay, so we're training our minds through compassion and wisdom to be more, to have compassion and wisdom. We're basically seizing the things we want to improve and training on improving them so that we're going in a direction, in the direction we want to go. Number three is transforming adverse conditions into the path of awakening. So that's uh, learning how to transform adversity to turn our struggles into positive qualities so that they can help us uh, be in another source of our happiness. Learning how to transform adversity into positive qualities. Um, and that can be really helpful to us. So that when something bad happens, we don't think, oh, why is this happening to me? But rather, what can I learn from this? What can I do? Is there an opportunity here? And sometimes it's really hard to find an opportunity, right? But often there is one. Often there is one. Uh, so number four is integrating practice into your whole life. And that's just to make sure um, that we are not just meditating to be good meditators, not just studying teachings to be good at studying teachings, but that we're taking it into our lives and applying it. You know, I don't want to be a virtuous person just when I'm at the temple or just when I'm doing teachings like this. I want to be a virtuous person all the time, right? I still want to be uh, manifesting compassion and wisdom at work. I still want to be manifesting compassion and wisdom at a kid's birthday party, right? No matter where I am, I want that to be. I don't. We can fall into a trap of separating like this is the spiritual part of my life and this is the ordinary part of my life. And I want to advocate for thinking it's all spiritual. Okay? Yeah. So fifth is the measure of mind training. And that is where we sort of um, are learning how to see our proficiency in this level of mind training. I say level, but... Um, they're not to be cultivated one at a time, really. We're all working on all of them together. But that's where we sort of can help ourselves see where we need work, see where we do and don't need work, uh, because there's areas where we more, some of us need more work in different areas than others, right? So uh, someone with explosive anger might need more work in their uh, anger regulation, and someone with someone that gives into temptation all the time might need more work in that area. And that's not necessarily the same thing, right? And so 
or we can learn how to see where we need work. Um, so sixth is called the commitments of mind training. And that's a series of commitments. It's, you know, it's where we resolve that we're going to stop making enemies out of the world all the time. I'm going to try to live in harmony with the world. I'm going to make a commitment. I'm going to declare I'm going to do that. And seventh is advice for mind training. And that's just tips and tips and tricks. Do we say tips and tricks for this? Um, It's sort of everything that's not in the first six, but it's also what are the things that get in our way? How do we get through the things that get in our way in the way of our manifesting mindfulness and compassion? How do we get around those things? What are the strategies to deal with those, right? So uh, those are the seven, the seven, uh, I'm going to look up what they're called again, Uh, seven key points of mind training as taught by Atisha, Okay. So uh, that's it for today. Uh, but look up, look out for those teachings going forward. They're going to come out. Thank you for taking the time to listen to me and have a good day. Thank you for listening and have a good day.